Welcome to the Bagwell Center podcast. This podcast features lectures and symposia hosted by the Bagwell Center for the Study of Markets and Economic Opportunity at Kennesaw State University. The Bagwell Center's mission is to provide a platform for an interdisciplinary study of the importance of markets and economic institutions in regard to resource allocation, entrepreneurial activity, economic prosperity, and improved human welfare. Through extracurricular outreach activities such as guest lectures, film screenings, workshops, fellowships, and reading groups, the Bagwell Center places an emphasis on educating students about the foundations of market institutions and examining the related impact of government policy in a mixed economy. For more information about the Bagwell Center and its programs, please visit coles.kennesaw.edu slash econop. He has an undergraduate degree in chemical engineering from the Indian Institute of Technology, an MBA from Purdue University, and an MA and PhD in economics from the University of Michigan. His research interests are in the areas of political economy, state and local public finance, regulation, and public sector labor markets. Dr. Bagchi has published numerous academic articles in leading journals such as Economics Letters, Journal of Economic Behavior and Organization, and Journal of Public Economics. Okay, thank you very much, and Dr. Bagchi, welcome to Kennesaw State. Thank you. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Good morning, everyone. I do this in my classes, so I'll pretend this is my class. Good morning, everyone. All right, thank you. That's a lot better. So as Tim Matthews said, my name is Sutheed Bhakti. I'm, a professor, I'm an associate professor of economics at Villanova University on the outskirts of Philly. And here is a talk which, as it turns out, has rather little to do with uh, Uber or ride sharing itself, but has something or has a lot to do with the effects of ride sharing in a related market, which happens to be that of taxicab medallions. And I'm very grateful that Jared did mention a, quite a bit of introduction about uh, what a medallion is. So I'll end up spending a little less time on that section of the talk itself. Uh, so here is a bit of an outline of my talk. I want to share the sort of the origin story of my paper, uh, share some observations regarding the trajectory of medallion prices in two cities, New York and Chicago. Those are the cities I looked at. Uh, and then trying to tie the decline in medallion prices to the entry of these uh, what we call transportation network companies. That's a fancy name for uh, Uber and Lyft. Uh, so seeing if there was a correlation between the decline in these medallion prices and the entry of Uber and Lyft into these two cities. Uh, and then su subsequently talk about a few responses by taxicab operators to this decline in medallion prices. Lobbying, for instance, is certainly a part of it, and I will have something to share on that. And then because this ultimately is a symposium on ride sharing, offer some very uh, preliminary remarks on what I think of as the future of ride sharing. So that's an uh, outline of my talk. Again, grateful to Jared for having mentioned a medal what a medallion is, but it lit literally looks something like this. Uh, the piece of metal itself, I mean, the cost of producing something like this would probably be 10 bucks, but it is an extremely valuable asset in the sense that if you're trying to pick up someone on the street, drive them from point A to point B, the city requires that you have one of these affixed to your vehicles. Uh, and as it turns out, uh, and as I will show you subsequently, these medallions were selling at trading uh, for over a million dollars at one point in uh, New York City. Okay. All right. Uh, so 
And again, Jared, again nicely, for, nicely for me, my talk, Jared mentioned this as well, that the number of medallions was being kept under uh, sort of very tightly limited by the city of New York itself. So back in 1930s, when this practice of uh, issuing these medallions originated, the city issued about 13,595 medallions. And then in 2015, uh, almost eight years later, even though the city's population had grown, economic activity had grown quite rapidly in the city, the number of medallions was actually less than what it had been in 1937. So, if the models that we, all of us as economics instructors teach in the classroom has to have any meaning, then what should we expect to happen? You basically have a vertical supply curve. So this is perfectly inelastic. Uh, this is a perfectly inelastic supply curve. And on the demand side of things, you are, expecting, you are expecting to see an increase in demand for these rides because a population has grown, uh, economic activity has grown, and that's going to drive the number of rides people want to take on taxis. And so what should we expect to see in terms of prices of these assets, which then confer you the right to uh, drive people from point A to point B? You should expect to see a significant increase in the prices of these medallions. And that's exactly what we observe in the data. But at this point, I think it's worthwhile before I get more down into the details and share with you some pictures, some facts about how these uh, prices evolved. Let me share you the, the reason I got interested in this topic itself. So back, I think it was in 2017, I was traveling for a meeting of the American Association, uh, American Economic Association. And rather than drive myself to the airport, um, I ended up um, taking, Uber, uh, taking Uber to the airport, then from the airport in Chicago O'Hare, down to my hotel, and then all the way back as well. So I had a chance to have a number of conversations with people who drive for Uber and Lyft. And while as it turns out I'm an introverted person, I don't mind chatting with people in a one-on-one -on -one setting. So I'm curious to hear their life stories, what got them interested, why are they driving for Uber or Lyft, do they have another day job? So I'm always interested in, in chatting up my Uber drivers as I was doing yesterday as well. And so in, in that instance, as it turns out, that many of these folks who were then driving for Uber or Lyft had been taxi cab drivers before. So that was, uh, and that, that made me interested. Does the fact that you have a migration of drivers from these traditional platforms to something like Uber or Lyft have an impact on the prices of these medallions? And the only reason I had known about the institution of medallions is because, and even going further back, when, uh, uh, when being driven around in New York City, again, as chatting up with my cab driver, and this is back in, 20, maybe in 2013, and he was, remarking, he was remarking quite wistfully that he wished he owned one of these medallions because then he would be set for his life. And back then he shared something that, oh, these medallions are trading for a million dollars. And I never thought much of it, but except for the fact that when I had these conversations later on in 2017 with people who are now driving for Uber or Lyft, I was interested in seeing, okay, does this have an effect on the prices of these medallions? And as you might imagine, they do. That is why we have a paper here. That is why, we have some, that is why I have something to share. Um, so the plots that I'm showing you here, and I have another similar plot for uh, Chicago as well, but basically this is a plot of the prices of medallions in New York City. So New York City has a fixed number of medallions, as I said, about 14,000, give or take. Um, so it's not as if new medallions are being issued. What happens is that if a taxi driver wants to sort of hang up his boots, he's 70, he doesn't want to do this anymore, then he is going to put up his medallion for an auction, or he's going to try and get rid of his medallion, and then you see those medallions trading in what we would call the secondary marketplace. So it's not as if the city is issuing new medallions, there were some of that, but it's predominantly a taxi driver is moving back to his home country, or has had enough of it at 70, hanging up his boots, wants to get rid of his medallion, and looks for the best bids. And fortunately for us, New York City has excellent data on the prices of these medallions, which are very easily downloadable. 
And so I was able to look at the prices of these medallions in New York City starting from 2009 all the way through 2016. And you clearly observe this pattern in terms of uh, you're looking at, you know, right, so looking at, so we are talking about, let's say, about $500,000 back in 2009, uh, somewhat of a steady increase up, leading up to 2012, and then a, quite a significant increase right here up until 2013, with prices being in the neighborhood of, let's say, a million dollars for these medallions that are the independent medallions. And then obviously followed by a crash later on, till the point when my sample ends here down to a price of about 500,000. Now you do notice that there are two plots here, one which says independent and the other says corporate medallion. It's a bit in the weeds, so I'll mention this very briefly. With independent medallions, the person who owns it is required to drive the vehicle for a limited number of days a year. So let's say he has to drive his vehicle for 200 days a year, and then for the rest he can lease it off to someone else. Uh, corporate medallions, on the other hand, come with no such restrictions. So for Gene Friedman, that, was, uh, that Jared was talking about, he was the owner of these corporate medallions, but there are no kinds of restrictions whatsoever in terms of the owner of these medallions driving the cab himself uh, at all at any point in the year. So you could have some wealthy owner in, let's say, uh, Norwich, Connecticut, or uh, somewhere in Jersey who owns hundreds and hundreds of these medallions who never gets, in, gets behind the steering wheel of a cab, but just simply farms this out to, uh, to a manager who then gets drivers to drive these, uh, drive these vehicles. And obviously, because these classes of medallions come with fewer restrictions, you do see higher prices for, the, uh, for this class of medallions with an average price of 1.2. And Jared was again right in terms of saying that the peak prices was 1.3 million. You almost think this is a rare painting by a, by a well-known painter that's being auctioned at Sotheby's, and yet it's this very simple piece of metal that probably costs $10 to manufacture, and yet you see these assets trading hands for uh, well over a million dollars. And the one other interesting thing, at least I find it interesting, is that I have another plot here which shows the number of medallions being transacted. And there you see the pattern is a little different from what you see for prices, where if you take the number of transactions taking place here, you see that, yes, the prices are fairly high, but that's being supported based on rather few transactions. So it's not as if people are transacting a lot. It's perhaps some people who are wildly optimistic about how pricey these uh, assets are who are still trading at this point in the market, but you do see the market drying up. You see, in fact, you see the peak in the number of transactions take place well before you see the peak in prices. And that's actually not uh, unique to this marketplace. There are other marketplaces where you see this kind of pattern where higher asset values could, could be just based on a few parties who are interested and who engage in those transactions, but as such, the overall market is somewhat wary of uh, sustaining these high prices. All right, so that is as far as New York City is concerned. Um, Chicago, again, the market itself is different. You notice that the peak prices are a lot lower. So peak prices that we see here are about 360,000. There are various reasons why New York City is, these assets are much more pricey in New York City as compared to Chicago. Um, I will have a chance to mention some of those reasons at the end of the talk, but in any case, the overall peak prices are a lot lower than what you see in New York City. And then again, this is the kind of graph which no one wants to ever look at. If you happen to be, happen to be one of the owners of these assets, you see these medallion prices declining from, let's say, about 200,000 to well below 50,000 over the course of one year. And in fact, during my sample period, I noticed that these medallions decrease in value by about 80%. So having, you look at peak prices of around 360,000 in 2013, 2014, all the way down to $60,000 by the time my sample ends in 2016. And again, this is a slightly longer time period. That's because of the nature um, of the data that's available to me. 
All right, so those are some basic patterns in the data. Tim, how much time do I have? Good on time, okay. Um, I have some summary statistics in terms of the uh, prices of these medallions, which you can look at. I've already gone over this, so I'll just uh, move over, uh, move on. And again, you see these prices. We generally want to look at the median because you might have a few outlier transactions. Uh, this is for the corporate medallions. Again, this was the 1.32 million that we mentioned earlier in the talk. And as far as Chicago is concerned, peak prices of around 350, 360,000 and down to 60,000 by the time my sample period ends. You notice how transactions are drying up during this period. So you have about 500 transactions taking place in uh, 2012, going down to 360, going down to 89 in 2014, and the market all but freezes by the time we get to 2015, 2016. So that's actually something to always keep note of is the number of transactions taking place. We often pay attention to asset prices, and that's important, but certainly it's worthwhile looking at how many people are engaged in this market. Now, for me, an obvious question was, was Uber to blame? And yes, it seems uh, fairly reasonable to argue that Uber had a responsibility to play in the decline of these medallions. But again, I couldn't just simply say, I think Uber is to blame and have a paper. We need to do more. Uh, and so unlike uh, Jared, who had the bright idea of calling up someone at Uber, or um, someone you'll hear from later on, John List, who's been involved with Uber for a long time, I did not have data on the number of rides uh, that Uber that were being taken on Uber or, or Lyft in these two cities, New York City and Chicago. So what is the best alternative that I could come up with? Uh, well, I looked for searches for the terms Uber and Uber driver on Google Trends. And this is a fascinating source of data. I mean, certainly I would, rather, I would pay money to get actual real data from Uber or from Lyft in terms of the number of riders, uh, the number of drivers, the number of trips that are being taken on these platforms, absent that, this could potentially work as a proxy. But to the extent that you're not convinced that this might work, I do want to share with you some examples of searches for other things that were in the news or that might be in the news. So here is a, as a sanity check, let's look at Google searches for Queen Elizabeth. And this is over a five year window. You see that, uh, you see that these searches spike somewhere in the late fall of 2022. Now the way Google reports this data is, it does not report the actual number of searches. What it does is that it normalizes the most searches that are taking place at any given point in time to 100, and everything is calibrated with respect to that. So this does not mean that there are 100 people who are searching for uh, Queen Elizabeth in 2022. I'm sure there are millions and millions of people who are looking up what's happened to Queen Elizabeth at, at, around the time she passes away. It's just simply normalized to 100. And again, I think the picture becomes a bit more clear if you look at this for one year. So the search intensity is highest in this week between September 4th to September 10th. Since some of you are already on your smartphones, you might as well look up what is the date on which Queen Elizabeth dies. Oh, it's when she died, right? Right, but what is the exact date? Um, you know, September 4th to 10th. That's the week, because this reports data on a weekly basis. Uh, anyone? When does Queen Elizabeth die? September 8th. September 8th, exactly, exactly. And again, this reports, this reports it on a weekly basis, and so I, don't, I can't get it more granular than that. Again, if I did have it on a more granular basis, I suspect I, we would see that the number of searches for Queen Elizabeth is fairly low leading up to her death on September 8th, and then it suddenly spikes. But nonetheless, you can pinpoint this quite accurately in terms of when she passes away. I work on taxes, so I wanted to choose yet another example, uh, and that had to do with taxes. So this is searches for the term Form 140. 
and again, some of you hopefully will graduate soon, get jobs in the real world, fill out taxes, and then when you do that, you'll be using something that's called a Form 1040. Maybe some of you already have. This shows you the search pattern for the Form 1040 over a two-year window. The reason I did not choose the uh, recent years is because of the COVID pandemic. Filing deadlines were extended and changed in various ways. So the, the salience of the April 15 deadline has gone down to a certain extent in recent years, like 2020 and 2021, which is the only reason I went back to a pre-pandemic period when things were more normal. So 2017 and 2018, uh, you see that the search intensity is pretty much highest in these two weeks. And one of them happens to be April 9th to April 15th. The other is, again, April 9th to April 15th in 2018. What's the filing deadline for taxes? Exactly, exactly, exactly. So uh, it's generally April 15th, if there is Easter or if there's something else that's going on, it would get extended. And certainly during COVID, we saw significant extensions. But nonetheless, this does tell you something about uh, when people are looking for it. This also, I think, tells you a pattern of human behavior that some people are filing their taxes or looking up taxes right in at the end of January and February. These are people who can't wait to get started with filing their tax returns. Then there's a bit of a lull, and then you see this increase right around the timing of the filing deadline. I'm probably right here in this camp, uh, filing fairly close to the deadline on April 12th or 13th. And finally, again, to get you convinced about the story that this matters, here is a plot of, so fortunately for us, by the end of the sample period, New York City was uh, requiring Uber and Lyft to share a lot of information with the city on the number of rides that were being taken on that platform. And so for the last two years of my sample, I'm actually able to get real data on the number of trips that were taken on these platforms and see how well they correlate with the number of searches people were taking for Uber and Lyft. And probably it's hard for you to see it uh, from the back, but the correlation coefficient is fairly high with 0.75 for uh, Uber and 0.95 for Lyft. I have a story because Lyft is less known at this point, so people really want to know about Lyft before downloading the app, before signing up for it. Uh, and so you see pretty high correlations, in my view, between the search intensity on Google and the actual number of trips that are being taken on these platforms. All right. So having convinced you of that, again, that was a big part of the talk. Uh, again, what do you do when you have a variable which could affect something else? You run a multivariate regression because it's not just one factor which affects the price of this asset. There could be other factors which also affect the price of this asset. And some of the factors are listed here, which is one is the data on taxicab revenue. So how much revenues are, uh, is each taxicab bringing in? These uh, medallions, most folks are paying, uh, take, taking a loan from a bank or from a credit union. So what's the interest in interest rate that they, are, that, is, that they are being charged, and the cost of labor, a proxy for the cost of labor. Okay. So you look at the regression results. So I have a, three different tables here, the one being the independent medallions market in New York City, the second being the corporate medallions market in New York City, and lastly looking at the market in Chicago. And these are the variables that I have in my, in my analysis for New York City. So the fares that are being collected per day, the search intensity for these terms, either Uber or Uber driver, the interest rate that's being charged on these loans, and the hourly wage for taxi drivers. The reason I have that variable is that it serves as a proxy of the opportunity cost of driving a cab. Um, and again, we would expect that to have a negative correlation with the prices of these assets. And pretty much things are borne out as you would expect. Uh, the search intensity for Uber and Uber driver correlates very strongly, in fact negatively, but very strongly with the prices of these medallions. And that holds up regardless of how you operationalize your variables, whether you think of this in terms of average prices or log of average prices. 
Fairly similar pattern when you look at these uh, corporate medallions. So again, searches for Uber and Uber driver seem to correlate quite well with the prices of these medallions. The last set of results I have is with respect to medallions for Chicago, uh, where again, I did not have the information on fare box revenues. I mean, New York City is great in providing data on lots and lots of different things. Chicago is not quite as great. And so you don't have information on the revenues that these taxi cabs are bringing in each day. You have all of the other variables. And as before, searches for Uber, Uber drivers seem to correlate pretty well with the decline in prices or with the trajectory of prices for medallions in Chicago. The one, one, another point that I might worth note here is that you see fairly high R squares. I mean, it's generally in our regressions, I don't know the kinds of regressions that all of you are running, but certainly in the kinds of regressions I often run, it's hard to get values of R squared that are higher than 0 0.2, 0 0.3. Um, whereas in this instance, you find yourself with R squares that are in the ra range of 0.7, in some cases as high as 0.9, suggesting that these variables are relevant. They're explaining much of the variation in the dependent variable. So some back of the envelope calculations was Uber to blame. If you take these coefficients seriously, as I do, uh, then you can look at how much the search intensity for Uber increased during this period. So the search intensity in 2013 was at nine. The average score in 2016 was 86. So you see that increase in search intensity for Uber over this period. You take the coefficients in the, from the prior tables, you multiply the increase in search intensity with those coefficients, and you can land with the back of the envelope calculation in terms of the decline in prices that you expect Uber to have had on the prices of these medallions. And so when I go through that exercise, I find that the decline in prices that was being driven by Uber, that was being caused by Uber, was about 275,000 for the independent medallions and about 400,000 for these corporate medallions. The interest rate also turns out to be quantitatively important. So one standard deviation increase in interest rates seems to correlate with about a decline in prices by $200,000. So that certainly matters as well. It's quantitatively important. So in terms of a summary of my findings, um, I find that the adoption of TNCs and the interest rate charge to these medallions seems to matter when it comes to looking at the trajectory of medallion prices. The growing adoption of Uber between 2013 and 2016 did lead to a drop in prices. My best estimates are for New York City, this was about $275,000 for the independent medallions, about $400,000 for the corporate medallions. For Chicago, the decline that can be attributed to Uber is about $320,000. That's almost the entire magnitude of the price decline we see in the city of Chicago for these medallions. So Chicago may have, so all of the price decline in Chicago may have very well been driven by the uh, presence and adoption of Uber during this time period. Some remarks about why Chicago's experience may have been different from that of New York City. So as I mentioned, or as you may have seen, the price decline in Chicago was about 80%. Prices went down from 360 to 60,000, whereas in New York, they only halved during this period. So starting with, let's say, 1.2 million, they went down to 600. So why might this be different? Uh, well, there was a more onerous, uh, so one, there is a greater density of population and economic activity in Manhattan. Uh, in New York City, but certainly in Manhattan, that supports street hail. The unique thing about taxi cabs is that you go in and stand on a street corner, hail someone down, and that drives you from point A to point B. You need a lot of density for that to be really viable. Manhattan is, at its core, it's more dense than, uh, than center city Chicago. There's also a more onerous regulatory environment in New York City. For example, New York City mandates drug testing, fingerprinting of all drivers, including those who drive for TNCs, requires them to obtain a chauffeur license, 
undergo a 24-hour education course, Chicago doesn't have any of those requirements. So the, own, the regulatory environment itself is uh, more challenging in New York City, and that perhaps explains the smaller price decline. Um, I have two minutes. I don't think I'll have a chance to talk about any of these. Um, that's okay. Um, and maybe in a reference to political choice, so taxicabs tried to respond in a number of different ways, most of which did not succeed. And so what do you do when none of those programs succeed? We use the regulatory apparatus. So you use the fact that the people who drive taxis, they are likely, and they might have been immigrants, but certainly they have a political voice. So you lobby City Hall to get uh, City Hall to work out some favors. And, back, and finally, in 2022, they seem to have worked out a deal in which they got a, a significant amount of debt relief um, from, from the government and to a certain extent from the uh, holders of these medallions. Now, since it's, a, since it's a symposium on ride sharing, maybe I have a minute, a minute and a half left, so I'll just share some few thoughts about the, the future of ride sharing or my very basic thoughts on that. So one of the nice things that has happened is that Uber and Lyft are now public companies. So we can go and look up their audited financial statements on the, on the web page, takes less than a minute to get there, and see what have they reported. And this is from uh, Uber's financial report, the 10K filed for the uh, fiscal year ending December 31, 2021. And the points that are highlighted give you a sense of the situation Uber finds, it, finds itself in. This is an interesting quote. It says, ride-sharing and other categories in which we compete are relatively nascent, and we cannot guarantee that they will stabilize at a competitive equilibrium that will allow us to achieve profitability. That's a scary thought. Uh, Lyft, similar, except that it's a smaller company, so losses are somewhat smaller. Where might we go from here in terms of looking at these companies? I do think that's something which will happen, which is likely to happen is a possible flattening of what we call selling general and administrative expenses, as well as R&D expenses. You can go and look up these financial reports. One of their biggest line items is these general and administrative expenses, these R&D expenses. One would expect those to flatten out or decrease as a percent of revenues as these companies expand. Alternative revenue streams such as food delivery for Uber, this is super important at this point. They actually make more money uh, or revenue-wise, they have more money coming in from delivery services as compared to mobility, which is driving people from point A to point B. You might expect some consolidation in this space. And lastly, and this is my final slide, you might see an unusual convergence between TNCs, the Uber and Lyfts of the world, and taxicab companies. So this is a picture from 2022, where Uber is now partnering with yellow, tax, yellow taxi companies in New York City. Um, I'm out of time, so I'll stop here and leave you with this. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Bagwell Center podcast. For more content like this, please be sure to subscribe. And for more information about the Bagwell Center and its programs, please visit us online at coles.kennesaw.edu econop.